we were talking as we were coming in the car this morning that this will be the third Easter that we've been here for even though we've only been here for two years because Easter followed on almost immediately after we arrived and what a contrast with all three of them the first Easter we were here we were in complete lockdown and it was that Easter weekend that I made my first feeble attempt at a video to send out to the church last Easter we were able to meet but with restrictions but praise God we can meet today with no restrictions at all isn't God good and it's good to be in God's presence it's good to be with God's people it's good to be in God's house and it's good to remember the reason why we're here because of the one who suffered and died for each one of us we're going to turn to the scripture that uh, Tracy read so well from the English, English Standard Version. <laughs> and we're going to just go back to a couple of those verses again. Um, I'll read from verse 11 to 15. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead and Pilate again said to them then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews and they cried out again crucify him and Pilate said to them why what evil has he done but they shouted all the more crucify him so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now I want you to think in non-spiritual terms when I ask you this question this morning, and it is simply this, what in life brings you satisfaction? non-spiritually now what in life brings you satisfaction you don't have to tell me you're probably all thinking of your own answers if you've got any but I want to bring something this morning from that one word that is found there in verse 15 as I was preparing for this week I'd started on something and then I went to something else and then something else and then I read this chapter again and I've spoken on this chapter a few times just recently but I just as I was reading again and reading verse 15 the one word just jumped out at me so Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd and it was that word satisfy so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The word satisfied, satisfy is in the NIV, it's in the English Standard Version, it's in the Christian Standard Bible. I think if it's the King James Version and possibly the New Living Translation, I think the word that is used there is the word pacify. But it's the word satisfy that jumped out at me. What we find is that the people were going to get satisfaction out of Pilate sending Jesus to be crucified. 
Pilate had found Jesus to be innocent. He couldn't find any fault in him. But as far as the crowd were concerned, the innocence of Jesus was going to count for nothing. And so Pilate gave in to the cry of the crowd to satisfy them rather than to act in a just and a proper way. But what we discover out of this is that God had a plan to see that from out of their warped satisfaction, genuine satisfaction could be found. And so there are three thoughts we're going to look at very briefly this morning. Satisfying the crowd led to the wrath of God being satisfied. Satisfying the crowd led to Jesus himself being satisfied. And satisfying the crowd led to all who come to faith being satisfied. And so that word satisfy, satisfied or satisfaction. So the first point, satisfying the crowd led to the wrath of God being satisfied. We know so well from scripture that God's just demands and punishment for sin needed to be dealt with. He's a holy God. He's a sinless God. He's a perfect God. And therefore, because of sin and everything else that come into the world, it was only right that God would have to deal with it because he can't bear it. He doesn't want to look upon it. And so the just demands of God and punishment for sin needed to be dealt with. And what we discover is this, that as Pilate satisfied the crowd by releasing Barabbas and sending Jesus to be crucified, we find that in going to the cross, Jesus was going to take upon himself everything that was necessary to satisfy the just demands of God. And this is something that is being knocked so much in the Christian church today, where they're trying to do away with this whole doctrine of Jesus bearing our sin. They call it child abuse and everything else. But we need to realise, without Jesus going to the cross and bearing the punishment for our sin, there would be no satisfaction on God's side. It needed to happen. And as our substitute, Jesus took our place. In doing so, we sung it in the one song already today, he took all we deserved so that instead we might be reconciled to God himself. As a word that we use, and it's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the word propitiation, and it says there, in this is love, and I love this verse, in this is love, not that we love God, and not one of us did love God, we had no time for him. We couldn't care about him. But in this is love. Not that we love, have loved God. But that he loved us. And because of his love for us. He sent his son. To be the propitiation. For our sins. So there we find. That God sent his son. To take the punishment. To die for us. To bear our sin. So that we might be reconciled to God. 
And that one word propitiation actually means that Jesus satisfies. And this is the wonder of Calvary. Jesus satisfied God's wrath against sin by his death on the cross for the sins of the world. The song we sing often is In Christ Alone, which has the lines within it that go like this. On that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I read something on the internet yesterday or the day before as I looked into that song that one of the denominations in America tried to get those words taken out. They did all they could to get those words taken out because they didn't like the idea of Christ being our, sat our, our substitute and God being satisfied. Without it, we wouldn't be saved. Without it, we would still be lost. But he came. And because Pilate satisfied the crowd and Jesus went to the cross, he satisfied God by taking the punishment for us. He took my sins and my sorrows. He also took the punishment and bore the wrath of God toward it. God looks at me. And in Christ, he looks at you and he is satisfied. That's the wonder of Calvary. Because the suffering saviour satisfied the just demands of God. Secondly, satisfying the crowd led to Jesus being satisfied. Yes, and it seems a strange thing to say, the one who suffered... The one who was suffering was also satisfied. There's another well-known verse we know from Hebrews chapter 12. And there in verse 2 we read, it says there, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Seems strange, doesn't it? You're going to the cross. You're going to suffer. When you think of all the things that I shared here last Sunday morning, as Jesus took of that cup and drank of it, he was going to go through all of this. And yet it says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what lay ahead of him. On two counts, he knew the suffering. And yet, he also knew that beyond that, there was going to be the joy. Back in Isaiah 53, which Ian's already read some verses from there this morning. But a little later on in that same chapter, verses 10 to 11, this is what we read. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That speaks again of God was willing for his son to be crushed so that he could be satisfied. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And here it is, out of the anguish of his soul. And we learnt about all that anguish and the suffering and the pain and the torment last Sunday morning. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see. And what will happen? It says, and he will be satisfied. And so Jesus was also satisfied. 
So there in the garden, when he prayed that prayer, Father, if it is possible, he knew what lay ahead. And yet he knew in his obedience he was going to be satisfied. And I believe today that as Jesus sees us this morning, us that are here, who would say that we're ransomed, we know that we're restored, and we know that we're forgiven. As Jesus looks down and sees each one of us, he's satisfied. He's filled with joy. His heart is filled with joy. And I believe that he's saying to himself, it was worth it. It was worth it. And not only that, he knows, he can say, I've satisfied the Father. And I'm satisfied myself. But imagine the satisfaction when the day finally arrives and we shall all be gathered around the throne. And he's going to look at the crowd, the vast crowd that the scripture can't even give a number to. Of men and women, boys and girls, of every race, of every nation, of every tribe and of every tongue. And Jesus is going to be there and he's going to look. He's going to be satisfied. Satisfied. Because he knows that the work that he did was successful in coming to save you and me. But then thirdly, satisfying the crowd leads to all who come to him in faith being satisfied. We go back to the question that I asked at the beginning. What brings you satisfaction? And I don't know what you thought about as I was thinking of things outside of Christ. Well, we need to come to the real crux of the matter. And we should say this, that well, in Christ and in Christ alone, we have genuine and lasting satisfaction. And you might have thought of things that this world give you, gives you satisfaction with. But I want to tell you that those things that you thought about, they are temporal. They last for a moment and then they're over and done with. But when we come to know Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, we know what it is to have genuine and lasting satisfaction. And so Pilate satisfying the crowd has led to us this morning in coming to faith and knowing that we too are satisfied because we know Jesus as Saviour and as Lord. In Psalm 107 and verse 9, we read this. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Now we know that this is talking of the spiritual. Because we know that we don't eat as far as the physical is concerned. Uh, the soul is concerned. We eat for the physical, don't we? We eat to keep the body going. So here it's talking of the spiritual. He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. And have you got a spiritual hunger this morning? Are you feeling that you're starving spiritually? Then he satisfies the hungry, the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. And so if you feel spiritually dry this morning, you need to come to the one who satisfies. Because he will satisfy. He does satisfy. And he's continually wanting to pour out his love and his grace and everything else to satisfy the longing soul and the hungry soul with good things. Our souls once longed and Jesus brought satisfaction. A satisfaction that cannot be found in anyone else and not in anything else at all. Christ suffered and he sat, suffered to satisfy your soul and to satisfy mine. I wonder 
How often do we abuse what Christ has done to satisfy us? By seeking to be satisfied with the things of the world. Let's make that clear this morning. If we're trying to be satisfied this morning by the things of the world, then we're abusing what Christ has done for us. Because he's done everything that's necessary to bring us satisfaction, to bring us joy. Satisfaction that lasts, not just for time, but also eternity. And then again in Psalm 17 and verse 15, we read there, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Whatever application that verse had in the day when the psalmist wrote it, we have to accept that there's a prophetic application in it as well. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I believe that this is talking of that day when we pass from life into eternity. When we die and awake in his presence, we shall be satisfied. Isn't that wonderful? We can know satisfaction now in time, but we're going to know satisfaction for eternity. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. And the good news is the scripture says we're also going to be like him. The wrinkles will be gone. The grey hair will be gone. The boldness will have returned with something better. And everything else. There'll be no limping. There'll be nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because we're going to be like him. And when we see him, we're going to be satisfied. Isn't it wonderful what Jesus has done for us? What a saviour. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Yes, Pilate sought to satisfy the crowd. But God turned it around. And as a result, God has been satisfied. Christ has been satisfied. And we are satisfied. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, this one that we're remembering today, the one who came and suffered and hung on that cruel cross, he did it because he loved you. He loved me. He's loved us with an everlasting love. He's done it so that we can know what it is to be reconciled to God. And I implore you this morning, if you've not come to Jesus, if you've not given your life to him, then come to him. Allow him to come and to reside in your heart, to live in your life. And as he comes, he will forgive you. He will reconcile you to God. He will make you into a new person. And you too can know what it is to be satisfied with Jesus and all that is made available for each and every one of us. Now, I could have gone to lots of hymns this morning, Jesus satisfying us and everything else, but, but in, that's the wrong one, behind me because that's got a marker in it in the week I was looking for a particular song on the internet because it's a song I love and I just wanted to hear it being sung and uh, it's in this whatever this one's called Fish and Praise 386 Jesus the very thought of thee with sweetness fills the breast but sweeter far thy face to see and in thy presence rest. 
No voice can sing, nor heart can frame, nor can the memory find a sweeter sound than thy blessed name, O Saviour of mankind. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who ask how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. But what to those who find are this? Nor tongue nor pen can show the love of Jesus what it is. None but his loved ones know. Jesus, our only joy be thou, as thou our prize wilt be. In thee be all our glory now and through eternity. Why could Bernard of Clairvaux write that hymn? Why do I like that hymn? Why do I love the words? Why do I like to sing it? Because Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast. And why? Because he satisfies. He has satisfied me. I came to know him at nine years of age and I've never looked back because I know that he's loved me and he's given himself for me. And as I read the words of that song, I just rejoice in the fact that I know this Jesus as my Lord and my Saviour, and he satisfies me. I don't want the things of the world. I just want to live for him and be the person he wants me to be. But after I listened to that song uh, on the, the internet, the, 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 the congregation just slipped into another song. And... We're going to listen to this song in a moment. Um, I write stuff down in my diary as I'm doing it, so I've got to go back to where I wrote it down. And um, it's a simple little chorus. Uh, and I'm not ashamed to say, as I listened to it, I began to weep. I just wept. Your grace still amazes me. Your love still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees. Your grace still amazes me. Your grace still amazes me. It's as simple as that. And yet the words are so powerful. It touched me so much in the week that I wept. As I thought of the grace of God. And I thought of the love of God. And, and we think of it today that Christ came into this world to save sinners, to save you and to save me. And when I think about it, as I meditate upon it, as I wonder of the wonder of the cross, his grace still amazes me. At 62 years of age, his grace still amazes me. I've heard the story time and time and time again. But his grace still amazes me. And his love is still a mystery. That he should love me, a sinner. And that he should love you. Yet he did. And he came. And he gave his life for us. Each day we should fall on our knees. For your grace still amazes me. Your grace still amazes me. And I'm going to touch on that another time. Um, as we look at that again. But we're going to listen to that song. Let's just ponder and wonder the love of God's love and grace as we come to share in communion together.
Your grace still amazes me. Your love still a mystery. Pilate, he satisfied the crowd. But as a result, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. And yet his grace still amazes me. And his love is still a mystery. We thank him, don't we? Let's just prepare our hearts as we come to share these emblems together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. And oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning and we've shared together in fellowship, as we've sung the songs and we've worshipped together, we come because our hearts are full of gladness. They're full of joy because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And we say again this morning, thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank that you, you were willing to pray that prayer in the garden and surrender to the will of your Father. And to go to that awful cross, that awful death, that place of extreme pain and suffering, to pour out your lifeblood, that we might be made whole. We say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the price we've paid. And even as we go through this day and throughout this weekend, may our hearts continue to rejoice in what you have done for us. You've done what none other could do. You've done what we couldn't do for ourselves. However hard we tried, with whatever it is that we might have tried to do, we could never have been successful. But you've paid it all. You've paid it all in shedding your lifeblood. And we say thank you. And help us to keep you at the forefront of everything this weekend as we rejoice today in the fact that you died and that you were buried. And on Sunday morning, we rejoice again that you rose again triumphant. You've defeated Satan. You've defeated the grave. You've defeated death. And your life becomes our life. And we say thank you. So now as we come to share in these emblems, help us to remember you. 